Hi, and welcome to Yes Please, your go-to podcast for all things sexuality, pleasure, and orgasms. I've named this podcast Yes Please because that's how I want you to feel about all things sex, pleasure, and orgasms. Yes, please, and more. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here and that you want to learn more about how to experience more shameless pleasure, deeper satisfaction, and ecstatic orgasms in your life and sexuality. And I hope to inspire you to feel that you can embrace and celebrate your sexuality all throughout your life journey. This podcast isn't just about sex and sex education, however, it's about so much more. Personal growth, living a radiant and confident and authentic life, radical joy and expression, and general fucking goodness. I'm your host, Erica Alsborn, and I'm a sexuality teacher and expert, sex and birth coach, but you can think of me more as your BFF, who you love to talk to about sex and all the intimate things you don't feel comfortable talking about with anyone else. I celebrate the vast and diverse human, erotic, and sexual experience, and I embody a deep shamelessness when it comes to sex in all its different expressions. However, having said that, I am a straight, able-bodied, cisgendered woman, and in my work I specialize in female sexuality, and I work with women with pussies, and while I have a broad and liberal approach to sex, and a very extensive training, my knowledge is limited by my own lived experience as well as the focus in my professional work. But I hope you'll learn lots here with me, expand your idea of what sex is and can be and mean for you, and even though I'm an expert on this topic, I'm not an authority. Everything I share is always a suggestion, not a must, so take what resonates and leave the rest behind. I'm always open to receiving your constructive feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any. Okay, hi and welcome again. I'm delighted that you're here, and now let's dive into today's topic. Hi friend! Thank you for being here today. I am so excited because this is my first interview or the first episode where I have a guest. It's not really an interview. It's more a conversation. And I loved this conversation with Michelle. Um, And I'm hoping that you'll love it too and that you'll learn a lot about uh, relationships, attachment styles, and take away a sense of hope and inspiration when it comes to relationships and attachment styles after listening to this episode. So who is Michelle? Well, my amazing guest, Michelle Panning, is an intimacy alchemist. She helps women get connected to themselves so they can experience real intimacy with men. She helps single women, women in relationships, situationships, and everything in between. Michelle is a self-proclaimed trigger queen and will help you go from feeling anxious and stressed about your love life to feeling confident, worthy, and secure. I love that. And I love Michelle. I think she's amazing. And uh, I'm so, so, so grateful that she decided and to and accepted my request to be a guest on the podcast today. And like I said, I hope you'll learn lots and that it will inspire you. So enjoy my conversation with Michelle. And as always, feel free to reach out if you have a question, feedback, if it uh, sparks something that you want to share, anything like that. You can always send a DM on Instagram or an email and share um, yeah, what you learned. All right. Enjoy this conversation. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Yay, here we go. Welcome, Michelle. It's amazing to have you here. It's first of all, so wonderful to see your face. I haven't seen you in a while. And I am so excited to have this conversation with you and to have the listeners learn more about you and your work and just get a little taster of your amazingness. So welcome. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me on here. I'm really stoked to be here. And yeah, it's so good to see your face again. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to start with just have, if you could share a little bit about your story. So the work that you do and why you got into it and uh, yeah, anything that feels relevant about your story and your work. Yeah. Amazing. So basically, yes, I help women with love and relationships and intimacy, but at the core of it is just self-connection. You know, it's becoming so, so, so deeply connected to yourself. And then having a partner is a bonus to that, you know, because a lot of the women that I work with come to me feeling broken, like they're not enough or they're too much or something's wrong with them. And they think, oh, once I work with Michelle, I'll be fixed. And then I'll be like enough for someone. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm glad you're here. And no, that's not what we're doing (laughs) because nothing's wrong. You know, nothing's, nothing needs to be fixed. We're just going to tweak some things and, you know, approach things from a different lens. And, you know, the reason that I got into this was because I had a, completely disconnected relationship from myself. I was, I didn't have a relationship with myself and the little connection that I did have was pretty self-abusive really. Um, just speaking so negatively to myself about everything. I worked in the sex industry for 11 years as a stripper. That was quite taxing. I mean, I got some great pieces from that, like empowering pieces, and it made me really confident, but also it really damaged my relationship with men, which is what I help women with now. So, you know, if you come follow my work and you're thinking, oh, she must just be like, it's so easy for her to love men. I'm like, no, bitch. I've like, hated them. <laughs> like I've seen the worst of the worst. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And just like a series of toxic relationships. And I remember this moment where, you know, someone broke up with me again and I had this kind of come to Jesus moment, if you will, of like, (laughs) is it me? Am I the drama? Is it possible that I am contributing to the demise of literally all of my relationships? (laughs) What me? I have something to do about this. Like, (laughs) I know I play a part. (laughs) much more comfortable to blame them and point out all the reasons that they were fucking up and that I was actually perfect. Um, And if they could just get their shit together, I'd be fine. But yeah, I really embarked on my own healing journey from there. And then I was like, okay, I want to help women with this because it's changed my life. Ah, yes. Thank you for sharing that. You have such a rich, it's a rich story. And there, one thing that I want to ask you about, so you said, I was so, I was feeling so disconnected uh, from myself. I didn't have a real relationship with myself. Could you define or just expand a little bit on that? What you mean with, what does it mean to have a relationship with yourself? So, okay. So like when people ask me what self-love is, right. I, I think people start thinking, baths and face masks and you know whatever like sorry I'm laughing I know because like I was there I was fully there I was like yes water (laughs) like that's self-care that's a form of self-care but self-love is um and I'm I'm kind of being a bit cheeky I'm kind of stealing this from the man that I'm dating right now but it's like (laughs) deep listening, Hmm. deep listening to yourself. So for me, having a connection with myself means the ability to express 
my emotions. And, you know, when we, when we hear that, I think it's very easy for us to think, yes, I need to get better at expressing anger and grief and shame. Yes, I should feel those. I understand the importance, but actually what was more difficult for me to tap into, and I still struggle with it is joy and Mm -hmm. love and pleasure. Like those amazing juicy feelings that we say we want. And so really this deep listening to myself and building this connection to myself and my body which is an ever evolving process. I'm so passionate about this because it's been such a struggle for me of getting out of my head and into my body. But like, there's literally one dial on emotions. And if you turn down the dial for shame and grief and, you know, disgust, all those things, you're also turning down the dial for love and joy and pleasure. So it's really like, for me, it's a coming home It's a rediscovering because you look at children and children are just, they're just inherently connected. Mm. You know, they don't think, Oh, maybe I shouldn't cry. (laughs) They just cry. (laughs) You know, There's this full expression. And to me, that's what being connected is listening to myself, slowing down, being present, allowing my expression and allowing myself to just be in the world. Mm. Yeah. I love that. What a beautiful and comprehensive explanation and definition of self-love and and self-connection, because I I think it's so important to mention those pieces and not get hung up with a form of Mm. self-love and specifically with those stereotypical or picture perfect or Instagram curated portraits of self-love, because I, I don't, well, I shaved my legs the other day but I shave my legs like once a year I never paint my nails I don't really like I don't really do the typical kind of like I'm gonna pamper myself and I don't light candles and I don't I don't do those things and so it's never been my thing and yet I am deeply connected to self-love but it could be the connection I'm feeling with myself while doing the dishes or the experience of being gentle and kind with myself or walking with presence and feeling the soles of my feet and feeling energy streaming through my body and realizing, oh, I am a body. I don't have a body and feeling like uh, just now, just sitting here and noticing the rushes through my body and self-acceptance and self-love, even with the parts that I kind of (laughs) despise, like... (laughs) you know, um, that they are, (laughs) (laughs) and there are a few, um, and also with my sexuality, um, my sexuality is not perfect and it's not always working quote unquote. It's not, yeah, it's not perfect. And also my sexuality doesn't look perfect. Uh, and, and what I want to say with this is just so beautiful to hear you also speak to the fact that self-care is not necessarily self-love. It could be an expression of self-love, but self-care comes in so many different shapes and styles and forms. And, and it can also be very, very functional. It could be literally doing everything that you normally do, but adding a quality of connection or awareness or kindness or even sensual touch And it's more about the intention rather than the form. 
Absolutely. And what you said about, you know, this Instagram curated feed and TikTok and everything, it's like, be the it girl. And if you are not getting up at 5am and having a green juice and meditating for 30 minutes (laughs) and going for a run, you are doing life wrong and you should be scolded and you do not love yourself, you know? And it's like, yeah. Oh my God, we have enough pressure as it is. Can we just stop with all the things that we need to do? And then it's like, and I certainly experienced this myself, it becomes a fucking chore. Yeah. You know, to like, to be with yourself and just breathe. You think, oh God, just another thing to add to the to-do, to the to-do list. And that's not what this is about. This is about like the self-love is meant to nourish you, not- yeah deplete you and make it more stressful for you. It's like, can you exactly what you said, do the dishes and bring a level of presence and connection? You know, maybe you're just moving your hips as you wash the dishes or or whatever it is for you, but bringing in that quality of connection. Yeah. 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 It becomes, and it also becomes egoic in a way like ego run and, and then you have to take pictures of it or whatever. And if you don't show, show it off, then it does, it didn't happen. And it's, (laughs) so true (laughs) yeah if no one else validates it it's not real if it doesn't look beautiful if it's not beige it doesn't count (laughs) yes yes a hundred percent if it's messy if you didn't make your bed you have failed start again (laughs) yeah yeah oh my god all right well talking about all of this there is also one other thing um in your bio um that i want to uh circle back to you mentioned real intimacy you help women experience real intimacy with men would you again like define expand uh what you see real intimacy being and doing for people and couples yeah so as you mentioned all the the parts of you that you despise at times (laughs) real intimacy is like allowing someone to see that yeah and know that you can hold yourself through that, Mm. you know, hopefully my intention is for you to have relationships, romantic and otherwise, where you are safe and loved and supported in that. But, you know, I was in the dating game for quite some time and can vouch, it's not always received well. There are a lot of people that's like, whoa, that's too much. I don't like that. That's a big emotion. I'm scared of that. And it's like the, I trust myself to hold myself with that. And so when you have that deep listening and that trust and that level of self-love that we were just speaking about, then you can add in the vulnerability. And here's where I see people get a little bit mixed up with vulnerability because hi, I did this for a long time. I was like, oh, vulnerability is like word vomit. Just share your traumas with people. That's vulnerable. <laughs> And then I'd share something very early on, which is a a quality of of anxious attachment, which is like oversharing as a way to create connection very early on. So it'd be like date two. And I'd be like, yeah, let me tell you about sexual trauma. And they'd just be like, what the fuck? Too much. Bye. (laughs) Too much. And I'm like, I knew it. It was too much. So for me, I'd have, I have to really feel into what's actually vulnerable because what can happen is there's a fake vulnerability where you share things that other people would receive as vulnerable. But to you, you're like, I've told this story a thousand times. This Mm. actually has no charge for me. So for me, what's vulnerable is saying no, asking for what I need, saying you've hurt my feelings, 
um, I love you, I'm into you. Those are things that feel really vulnerable for me. Mm. And so having real intimacy with men is fully just about the ability to be seen. Mm. Just be seen and felt and really opening your heart. And so many people are terrified to do that. And I was in that space as well because you could get hurt, but love itself is inherently risky. It's like, you know, kind of like crypto. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the things that are really risky often have the biggest payoff. And so there's like, love is kind of like that, you know, and so for me, it's like, if I don't lean in and I don't give myself to that, what's the alternative is I just stay closed forever. And that might feel safer, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, hmm, wow, I played it really safe. And I never opened to anyone. So, yeah. yeah. And then I, th- I think it's also so <clears throat> powerful to then as an evolution, I'm guessing you see this a lot when you, when you learn to open to someone, the next part in that process is to also allow people to open to you. Because um, mm-hmm. that's something that I've seen in my relationship with my husband is that I want him to be able to hold all of me. But then as soon as he starts doing the same and it doesn't look the way I open, it looks the way he opens and his vulnerability is different from mine, right? Because like you said, it's not, it's not a formula. It, mm. it will be different for each person. And I really love how you uh, emphasize that because otherwise, yeah, it gets really formulaic and repetitive and it's role-playing. It's the charade kind of. And so mm. when, when my husband started getting really vulnerable, I was like, dude, you're fucked. <laughs> like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah take it back I I will not stand for this um and he was like so disappointed so disappointed in me and I think I don't know I don't I don't work with women specifically around this but I think it's something that I'm not alone in experiencing as a as a woman in a heterosexual relationship Mm. the demand of being held and seen and received fully as a emotional human being but then when men start doing the same we're like nah no thank you absolutely and I see it all the time. I really want a man who's emotionally available. And then he opens and is a little bit vulnerable. And they're like, that's gross. Stop. I hate it. (laughs) You know? And you know, my, my partner was saying something really beautiful because he came into my container, uh, the connected woman to give a transmission on the masculine and about men. And he gave an offering to women and the feminine and said something that he asks for is grace Mm. when he makes a mistake because he will. And that just like really moved me because I think we have these expectations of men to be strong. And this is our own and also just society in general of you have to be the strong one. You have to be the pillar. You have to hold my chaotic, emotional shit storm sometimes and not be moved. And you should never express that. And so it's like softening into that. And the more that you can start to hold yourself, the more you're able to hold others as well and not take things personally. And, you know, in an agreement that I have in all of my relationships is that we never use our vulnerability against the other person. So if you've shared something with me 
that is vulnerable, I'm not going to then bring that up in an argument. Yeah, but you said and use it as ammunition against you because I swear, and this is men, women, non-binary, whoever, that person will never trust you again. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a breach of trust. And once you go there, it's, it's really hard to mend the, the trust and, and the, the intimacy. Yeah. And I just want to say, if anyone's like, oh shit, I've done that. I too have done that many a time. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Like in past relationships, that was my go-to because when I was feeling threatened in some way, not like literally, but just, you know, my back is arched and my tail is up and I'm like, (laughs) I would say the one thing that I knew would hurt you just to like knock you down so I could be in control again and feel some level of safety. So this isn't, if you've used someone's vulnerability against them, it's, it's usually not a deliberate conscious thing. It's kind of my back is up against a wall. I really don't know what else to do in this moment. You're in a fight or flight or freeze kind of space. So you're just like, I will say anything to to not feel this Mm. right now. And so if you've done that, I just want to, you know, please have kindness and compassion for yourself. You are not a terrible person. Yeah, totally. I think I did it quite recently, actually. And then you have to spend a while just mending and caring and and also sitting with the fact that understanding how you, how I, the, the slippery slope, like the downward spiral into unconsciousness mm. when that behavior takes over uh, and noticing the triggers in me that accelerate that process um, because there's a switch and then it's like Erica's gone and yeah demon witch bitch Erica comes well maybe not witch but like evil witch Erica comes out and she has a tone she has a a fierceness to her voice she's really she's quite aggressive um and she doesn't care she doesn't care about collateral damage at all and yeah I speaking of parts of me that I despise she's one of them (laughs) feels I'm like oh you have one too (laughs) I also have this woman (laughs) yeah Yeah, and it's like because the thing is like rational Erica literally is not there because you've gone into the most primal part of you which is like in that fight right say the thing hurt them get them away from me I will show you I'll bring you down a peg yeah and Often what can follow for me anyways, is like a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm working on this. Why does this happen again? And it's like, okay, cool. Something, a quote that Esther Perel says, which I love. She's like, trust is not the idea that you will know that we will never hurt each other. Mm. Trust is knowing that we will hurt each other and we will both make an effort to repair. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like the reality is like, I remember an ex, I asked him, how do you deal with conflict in a relationship? And I mean, this should have been a red flag. I really should have left, but <laughs> I did not. He was like, I just don't think there should be any in a relationship. I don't think there should be conflict. And I was yeah. like, um, I don't think that's realistic <laughs> because yeah. you're two people coming together with potentially different attachment styles and different love languages and just different upbringings and stuff. Of course, there's going to be conflict and disagreements. Like that's just part of life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the 
it's not the the absence of conflict does not equal a good relationship i think it's the quality of how we handle conflicts which is mm-hmm. something that i think every couple probably needs to work on because like you said background and and how we were brought up and communication styles all of that tie into that but i'm curious because um this is something that i've been learning a little bit about lately and that i've been exploring in my own life and that's been impacting the way i see myself in the relationship and understanding my triggers and how i fight and how i love and how i uh, need space and how i feel about intimacy you mentioned attachment styles could you please share a little bit more about that and specifically anxious attachment style because i think i'm an anxious one yeah. <laughs> you're in good company yes <laughs> So there's four different attachment styles. And so there's anxious attachment and there are sometimes there's a few different names, but this is just what I go by. So there's anxious attachment, um, fearful, avoidant, dismissive, avoidant, and secure. So fearful, avoidant can also be called anxious, avoidant. That's oftentimes Mm. how people know it. So the anxious of anxious attachment is like, you can never be close enough to this person oh my right? god <laughs> laughing yeah. from recognition yeah. <laughs> i need more closeness <laughs> and often i'll get into what all of these mean but often what happens is an anxious person will be drawn to a dismissive avoidant and vice versa they're like a moth to a flame because the thing is we always we want to heal our childhood wounds through relationship. So if we had an absent father or an emotionally unavailable mother or caretaker, whoever, then we see this person who is somewhat avoidant and there's a little alarm bell that goes off in us going, ooh, familiar. And you know, you go, oh, butterflies, this feels exciting. And you're drawn to this person so that you can in fact never get your needs met. Um, I know this dance very well. This is like, I've been in it so many times. So the anxious person is, yeah, as the name states, anxious. You're constantly preoccupied with this person, constantly thinking about them, really merging your needs and your desires with them. What are they doing? What do they want? A lot of um, caretaking behavior can come from this attachment style as well of like wanting to save people, wanting to be like kind of maternal, that sort of thing. Um, And constantly needing this person to soothe you. Right. But the, but the thing is, if you're choosing someone who's avoidant, they're probably never going to do, to be able to do that to the level that you require. And so you're going to consistently feel like your needs are never being met. And what happens when you're feeling like your needs are not being met is an anxious person resorts to something called protest behavior. So this is basically like a child acting out. So trying to make your partner jealous or If they didn't text you for two hours, then you go four hours without texting them. Like those games sort of thing, Um, calling incessantly, driving past their house. I would do shit like this. Okay, well, fine. Maybe we should break up then. I did not mean that. I was like, chase me, you know, convince me otherwise. And then when, when, you know, a boyfriend would go, yeah, maybe you're right. I'm like, fucking what? No, wrong answer. Try again. (laughs) And also this is something that showed up a lot for me as well was when I would be in conflict, 
with a partner, their response to conflict was to completely shut down, literally go silent or leave or whatever, shut down. Whereas I want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk until it's completely resolved. We're not going anywhere. So you can imagine how those exacerbate each other and it's not a good situation. So that's a little bit about the anxious. And then the dismissive avoidant is like, fuck no to closeness, right? And so this, you might see this person as um, they may have like hookups, I guess, or a, a string of casual relationships, but there's never really like a level of depth to the connection. You may even be in a long-term relationship. You may be that person or, or dating someone, but you just can't crack them. They need a lot of space, a lot of alone time. Don't really open up about their emotions. And so the avoidant, the dismissive avoidant will find faults in their partner. And it's not like, Hmm, you know, I actually just don't think that we share similar values. That's like a real deal breaker. But they'll be like, yeah, I don't like their laugh. I don't think I can date them. Mm-mm, not something about his shoes. Mm, can't do that. <laughs> so they'll just find all of these faults that actually really have no relevance in the relationship. And usually it can be wonderful in the beginning and they're really into you and they're pursuing. And then once they hit this level of intimacy, something goes off in their system that goes, nope, too close, get away from me. And they'll end the relationship often with no warning. So it can be really problematic for an anxious and avoidant person to be together. Now, I'm not saying that it never works. It does. If that never worked, we wouldn't have like 50% of relationships right now. It just requires a, a deeper level of care. And both people need to be present and aware to what's going on. And so if you need that, you know that when you are in conflict, you shut down and you need space. And the anxious person is like, okay, well, I know that I need to talk. How can you meet in the middle? Can you maybe take a half hour break Mm -hmm. so that this avoidant person has time to regulate their nervous system, come back to earth, figure out that they're safe and the anxious person can get their needs for connection met. Mm -hmm. The fearful avoidant is a beautiful combination of both of those. (laughs) How fun. I think actually that's where Mm -hmm. I'm at on the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is too, like, different partners will bring different things out of you. Yeah. So because it's when not I'm, static, right? Exactly. When I'm with yeah. someone who's very anxious, I'm more avoidant. When I'm with mm. someone who's avoidant, I'm extremely anxious. Now with my current partner, like he's so secure and I feel pretty damn secure. Mm. So the fearful avoidant is the best way to sum it up is come here, go away, come here, <laughs> go away. Right. You deeply crave intimacy and deeply fear it. Yeah. Right. So this can happen if you, if you had a parent who was really inconsistent with you or a caretaker who was really inconsistent. And so you never knew what you were going to get. And if the person, well, I'll just give an example. My dad, he's come a long way, bless him. We love him, but he had a lot of his own trauma. And so he was a very angry dude when I was growing up. And so The person who soothes me is also the person who yells at me Mm. 
for no reason. And so it's so confusing of like, I want your love. And yet I fear you because you fly off the handle for nothing, right? The avoidant person, if you had someone who could not meet your needs, then you are going to be self-reliant. I can do it on my own. I've got it. I don't need anyone. And so no capacity to co-regulate. And the anxious person is like, I do not know how to regulate myself. Somebody help me. Please do it for me. I need people to soothe. I can't do it by myself. So yeah, this, this fearful avoidant, this anxious avoidant is kind of caught in the middle. And so often, and this is a big generalization, but there can be a lot of, and this certainly was true for me of like, kind of churning and burning through sexual partners because you get that hit of intimacy and connection without having to go really emotionally deep with someone. So, and then we have the secure who's like, yeah, I'm good with closeness. I'm good with space. And when I have something that's going on, I'll communicate it. And I feel safe asking for my needs to be met I feel okay saying no. And I'm like, what is it like to be the chosen one? (laughs) Yeah. Like, who are you? What kind of life is that? Wow. Genuinely. I remember like a girlfriend, I was a few years ago and I said, you know, I'd gone on. (laughs) So anxious. I went on two dates with someone and I was like convinced that he was the one, you know, which is often something that the anxious person does is attach very, very easily. And it didn't work out. And he turned out to be like, not a wonderful person. And I was really upset about it. And I said, it feels like I'm going to die. And my friend who's secure was like, I don't get that. How does it feel like you're going to die? You went on two dates with him. And I'm like, Mm. you have a secure attachment style. You don't understand (laughs) to my nervous system. It genuinely feels like I'm going to fucking die. Yeah. She was like, "Hmm, yeah, I get that. So there's just this real, it's not to say that secure people don't ever feel anxious or don't ever, ever feel avoidant, but it's not to the extent that someone with an insecure attachment style would have. Mm. Oh, that was a lot thank, of talking. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's so insightful. And to me, it's been a, an eye opener to understand these things and to see and reflect on how different partners in my life have brought out different sides of me and not necessarily you don't necessarily need to psychoanalyze yourself or your upbringing and it's you know we don't always find the answers in the past and also sometimes it's hard to find if there are any objective truths in the past because you see them through lens a lens of today and memory and so it's not always your memories are not always accurate representations of your upbringing as well so Mm. but just learning about this has been helpful for me to not feel like what you said at the beginning, something's wrong with me, or I'm a crazy person, or I'm unfixable, or this relationship is doomed, because to, to be totally honest, and you know about this, because we chat um, privately, mm. um, and we're buddies, uh, but my relationship with my husband has been really rocky for the last two, three years. We became uh, parents, and my experience of becoming a parent and having a child enter into our relationship was extremely uh, difficult and triggered, and it triggered all my childhood stuff. I think it exacerbated my attachment 
style issues, wounds, uh, it changed the whole dynamic in the relationship as well, because now there's Mm -hmm. another person to attach to and that impacts the dynamic of the relationship. There's this book I want to read. I haven't done it yet called um, Baby Bomb by Stan Tatkin, who is an amazing attachment style educator and um, therapist. So if... um, I think it's gonna. I think it's a good book. I would say, but I haven't read it yet. But just that experience of the baby bomb, like something exploding the relationship, exploding my internal reality with myself, and feeling like not only am I trying to like bond with my partner and maintain that bond, but now there's another person who needs me all of the time, and it it freaked me out to be honest to have mm-hmm. someone to have a small baby being so dependent on me for its survival and the intimacy was amazing but it was also uh, scary and overwhelming yeah and like you know something that just came through as you were sharing that was your attachment style is not a death sentence you know because yeah. I think learning about this you can go oh no I'm anxious or I'm avoided and now I'm always going to be that way and I'm fucking mm. doomed and none of my relationships will ever work out and that is just simply not true you do have to be more mindful about the partners that you choose I would not go for someone who is you know right before I met my partner I went on a few dates with guys and we were talking about this and two of the guys that I went on on dates with were like mm, yeah I'd say I'm pretty avoidant I was like huge red flag <laughs> yeah thank you for saying that and not making me figure it out um yeah. and so there's yeah there's a there's a level of discernment that needs to be used and you can slowly shift into secure attachment, right? So picking and choosing a partner who is mostly secure. Also, friendships are a beautiful way to have secure attachment modeled to you. So being having these friendships where you can cultivate this, this space of safety and love and nurturance so that you can bring those pieces that you feel like, oh, that's unacceptable, that's unlovable, that's shameful. You can bring those those pieces of you to this friendship and have it be witnessed and like, yeah, mm. I, I still love you. Like, of course, it doesn't even impact how I feel about you. All of you is welcome here. And if you don't have those kinds of friends in your life at the moment, know that you can cultivate that. And this is also why the the coach client relationship is really beautiful because it's someone who can model secure attachment where you can bring those pieces and you are held and you are witnessed and you are loved in it. And that's been really impactful for me because I know that I wanted to work on this by myself And was like, I will do this all on my own. I've got it. I can handle it. But the reality is, and I see this a lot with clients of I'm not going to date until I'm fully healed. Good fucking luck. Like you're never going to be fully healed, quote unquote, whatever that means. But it's often just an avoidance strategy Mm. to just stay alone because being alone feels really safe. But the reality is that These wounds were created in relationship. They need to be healed in relationship with another person. Yeah. And And you can only really access them in a relationship with another person, which is why it's so easy to be single. And then as soon as you enter a relationship, you're like, who the fuck am I? And what the fuck is going on? And everything's wrong with you. Bye. And then (laughs) totally. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, yeah. Whenever, whenever I was single, I was like, I think I've worked through all my relationship shit. And then I would get into a relationship and be like, <laughs> yeah. I am triggered. <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> yeah. Relationships suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we should break up and you're probably just not my person, which at the time, you know, like it was true. They weren't my people, but definitely I left a lot of relationships, a lot of connections, just being like, huh, no, you're not the Prince Charming that I have always wanted and desired my entire life. So see ya. Yeah. I also think about one thing that I thought of now, I've known my partner for a really long time. So we go 19 years back uh, and we've been together now for almost eight years. Um, This is our round 15, maybe. I don't know. Like we had many rounds in the first (laughs) phase of our love. And then we had a big break and now we're in a steady eight year round and we're married and we have a kid and there's a, um, there's a commitment to longevity in our relationship that is uh, very, for me, it's awe inspiring. Um, And longevity is not always a sign of a healthy relationship, but I'm really, I'm really aiming for longevity here and along like death till death do us part kind of thing. Uh, And I'm seeing that actually, well, this is not what I was going to say, but I'm actually seeing how being married and having a child is helping me stay put. And when I have my uh, flight tendencies, I'm anchored because mm-hmm. there's a there's a contract there's a commitment and uh, not a contract with the state or god it's like there's a contract with my husband it's a con- mm-hmm. there's a contract with love and there's a, a a child that is anchoring me and uh and that is really really powerful it's been really powerful for me in my healing and also initially what i wanted to say was it's interesting having known someone for so long i find this both interesting and actually equally challenging is to see the person who they are today not who they were 19 years ago or three years Mm -hmm. ago or five years ago because like you said an attachment style is not a death sentence it's not static it can it can change and and evolve depending on which partner you're involved with but it can also change and evolve within a relationship with the same people and so it's uh, it's a constant practice of presence and questioning the thoughts internally. It's like, who, who am I responding to now? Or who am I seeing? Or what am I projecting onto you? Is that really true? Because it's so easy to get stuck in the past, even with your same partner. And that is, well, first of all, it's not fair to the other person. And it's also not conducive or constructive to allow evolution and growth. Yeah, I there's a couple quotes that are coming to mind and I'm paraphrasing, mm. but essentially like to be in long-term relationship is to attend a thousand funerals of yeah. that person, right? Yeah. Of like, I mean, it's the same. I remember one of my teachers saying this about her, her child of when he you know, became a little baby and was no longer a newborn, I had to grieve the newborn. And when he became a toddler, I had to grieve the baby. And when he became a child, I had to grieve the toddler. And like attending those funerals of like, you're not that person anymore. And another quote that came to mind was, 
we need to stop seeing relationships as one long relationship. It's actually a series of short relationships that are consecutive. Yeah. And I love that because then it becomes a choice and there's a, there's a natural curiosity with that as well. Cause I, I do feel there can be a level of complacency that comes in as well. Of Yeah. I know 100%. everything about you. Yeah. 100%. I don't need to fucking know anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that actually really much relates to sexuality as well, because it's like, there's nothing else to explore here. I'm bored. Monogamy sucks. I know everything about you. I've seen all the places of your body. And it's like, no, there's so much mystery that you're just completely oblivion to. Um, mm-hmm. And that is what's killing your libido or your lustfulness or your sense of adventure sexually, even within a monogamous relationship. Uh, there is there is the possibility to be like a constant explorer. And that's both in the relationship and the sexuality within the relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that curiosity for yourself. Yeah. Right? Well. Like s- sexuality and your emotional world and all of it. Like, who am I today? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's fun. It's, and yeah, there's an element of that curiosity brings so much zest and aliveness to connections. And whether that's with yourself, your romantic partner, your friends, your, your family, even like anyone who's in your life, can you be curious? Can you have the mindset, if you will, of what can I learn about mm. this person today? And it's, it's very easy in long-term relating to get stuck in groundhog day, right? The kids yeah. and work, and we got to pay the bills and all of these things. And we lose that spontaneity and that novelty and that the eros that was in the beginning and and yeah that aliveness and i think that's you know that's a beautiful piece to weave with the attachment styles as well right it's like yeah the avoidant person needs some space you also need the closeness the anxious person you need to give people space you need space because as esther perel says fire needs air Mm. if you want to have passion and aliveness in your relationships, there needs to be space, right? Because what we're aiming for is not independence where you can do everything on your own and you don't need anybody or codependence where you can't do anything on your own. Interdependence. When you're okay with closeness, you're okay with, with, um, with space and you, it's a dance between you two and needs change as well. Sometimes relationships call for a little bit more closeness. Sometimes they, um, they call for a little bit more spaciousness and that's okay. And you're riding the wave of relating, which isn't always a smooth, bumpy ride. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck no. (laughs) Um, yeah. Wow. I tend to really, well, in the, maybe not so much right now or in the last six months, but I, I have a tendency to really swing, between the extremes of like codependency and like total independence crash like burn all bridges run like literally run to the other side of the world and then like swing back to codependency and um and like what I talked about marriage and family and house mortgage like nothing's ever permanent right but still having a sense of can you say permanency um 
has helped me really find balance in the middle and see how I can both play with independence and and play like play with interdependence rather than codependence and absolute like fuck off everyone I'm off on my own yeah Yeah, totally and I, I feel there's like there's really two narratives that play out that that I see most often which are like those two extremes which is the fairy tale right which is like oh my god it's gonna be perfect when I meet this person yay it's gonna be rainbows and butterflies and then you start arguing and you're like nope I'm out of here because with my person quote unquote this would not be happening we would not be disagreeing because we're gonna see eye to eye on fucking everything and then there's like the till death do us part narrative which is like I do not care what happens if you cheat, if you lie, if you treat me like shit, I am staying, I am committed. I will never leave this relationship. And there can be a lot of like toxicity and abuse in both of those situations. And so I think there needs to be, you know, what you were saying, like that permanency. And it's like this level of commitment. Like I've made a commitment to you. I'm staying, I'm working through things. And at the end of the day, my deepest commitment is to myself. Yeah. First and foremost. And if my needs are consistently not being met time and time and time and time and time again, after I've communicated and all of these things, then we need to reevaluate what we're doing here, you know, because I, I see this a lot with clients too. And it's like, yeah, I'm doing all the work and my partner won't do anything. And there's only two situ- two things that can happen. Either you set an example and they rise up to meet you or they don't. And then you end things, but yeah. either way, something's shifting. So it's not completely wasted if, if, you know, one person is doing the work and the other isn't. Yeah. Our oh, relationships, they're so rich. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there are so many nuances to them and layers and the 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 individual's experience of a relationship and the couple dynamic and then uh it's 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 the most challenging and the most rewarding thing um ever yeah it's uh for me it's actually I thought motherhood would be like the deepest spiritual practice but it's actually I think the relationship comes first (laughs) um and yes of course my relationship with myself Absolutely. But my relationship with myself, I find is more authentic and real, much thanks to my relationship, my romantic relationship, because exactly for the reason we talked about, you're not really accessing parts of yourself when you're single. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so being in a relationship is uh, in, in a romantic relationship where there's all of the all areas and facets of life, you know, every day, like, doing all the everyday stuff and uh like grocery shopping and all of the mundane yep and organizing and managing all of that with another person plus like parenting plus all all of the things like it's finding beauty and depth and richness in the mundane with a person day in and day out has been my greatest challenge and my greatest teacher actually the last few years mm-hmm. and um yeah I'm humbled by the by the richness of um of my romantic relationship and I'm well now I'm 
feeling emotional. I'm deeply grateful for my husband and the love that we share, but I also hate him at times. And I can honestly say that. <laughs> right? We get it's to say real. that. Yeah, we get <laughs> yes. to say that. <laughs> it's too real. And I wish people would have that conversation of like, you can hold the duality of loving someone so deeply and like at times hating them. Like my, my girlfriend, she has a son who's I think um, four and she's like, I love him more than anything. I would give my life for him. He is the cutest thing. I love him so much. And some days he makes me want to stick my head in a wood chipper. And I was like, that sounds really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the same with relating. It's like, I love you so much. And I really don't like you right now. You need to get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until I had a kid myself that I understood why Homer uh, strangled Bart. Like... <laughs> Sometimes when I'm really, really frustrated with my son, I, I like, I'll, I'll put my hands together and like, like, uh, like imagine strangling him like Bart. <laughs> I love that we're having this conversation. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's real. It's true. And um, yeah, thank you for all of the wisdom that you've brought today and the, all of the, also all of the permission to not be perfect and for people to yeah take in all of this inspiration to um, hopefully better understand themselves and their relationships and I think also what it comes down to is information is not like you like we've said it's not a death sentence instead it can help you take inspired action it can help you understand and not just surrender or sort of just give up into victimhood and be like okay I'm anxious or okay I'm avoidant let me just create my little island and put up all of the fences and this is the way it is and woo pity me and um, I'll never have love or I'll never no it's like now you can take inspired action because we know there's there's this challenge but there are also these tools and they're also coaches and books and therapists and embodiment work and all of the things that we actually can do to little by little shift and change and move towards in this case secure attachment secure relating and not a perfect relationship but one that can be challenging and hard and and yet at the same time bring you evolution and deep love and intimacy and well whatever you want out of a relationship and I think that's also something that we get to define for ourselves Mm. what do we want and what is a meaningful relationship to me absolutely and like just before we wrap up I remember you saying this to me in Mexico a few years ago when I was asking about something. I'm so curious what you're going to say now. (laughs) It's it's very just like you just mentioned it and it was like little, little. And it (laughs) it just stuck with me because it was like, oh yeah, like I don't need to, you know, you might've listened to this and go, okay, I need to change my attachment style. I need to become secure in the next three months, you know? And it's like, no, little, little just one little tiny step at a time and celebrate every step in the right direction that you make. And don't beat yourself up when you take a step back. It's okay. It happens. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to share that, that you really impacted me when you said that. Oh, what a wonderful memory. And thank Mm. you for sharing that. It's so true. Little, little, um, 
it goes for everything. Um, even in, I, I say this to my sexual, my, my clients, sex coaching clients, and then in, in all of my courses also, it's like transformation is oftentimes not a big like wave. It doesn't come in, in big breakthroughs normally, or usually most of the times, usually it's a little tiny trickling stream of insight or change or catching yourself a little bit sooner after a trigger or ending a fight a little bit sooner than you would have, you know, instead of three hours of fighting, it's like two hours of fighting. Wow. That's a massive success. That's a like 30% decrease. And that's really meaningful. Or if you're hating yourself and you're judging your body, thinking maybe less hateful thoughts and maybe a little bit more kind thoughts, that's little, little, that's that stream. And in over time, a tiny stream that is consistent can actually like cut through mountains and make mm -hmm. a really meaningful impact. If we're thinking like a landscape metaphor, it doesn't have to be a big wave. It can be tiny, tiny, little, little, little drops, little seeds that we plant and that can grow over time. I love that. That's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and it also makes you um, stick with it, um, I think, because otherwise we get so demotivated in the process. Oh yeah. I'm like, yeah. I've self-pleasured one time. Why have I not had a cervical orgasm yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. bullshit, it's not working. <laughs> totally, or why don't I feel secure yet? Or why are we fighting? Or why can I let go? Yeah, it's, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. 100%. Wonderful, thank you, Michelle, for joining. I have loved our conversation and to everyone listening, I hope there were lots or maybe a few uh, nuggets that sank in and that landed somewhere that gave you deeper understanding or insight, compassion, acceptance, even forgiveness with yourself as you've been listening to this conversation about, well, real, real relationships, not the fairytale ones, nor neither the one you have with yourself nor uh, the ones you have with others. Uh, lastly, is there anything else you'd like to share, Michelle? And also before, uh, before we wrap up, I'm also going to ask you where people can find you. I'll also put that in the show notes, but not related to that. Is there anything else you want to share and wrap up with? I think that feels pretty complete. Like, uh, you know, I could literally sit here for four yeah. hours. I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah, there is endless things to say about this. Yeah. And I think that was a really beautiful note that we left it on of like, you can make really big change just by being consistent and just, yeah, you know, like by, by, you know, if you meet another emotionally unavailable man, which you probably will at some point, like if you're more anxious, let's say, right. Um, by saying no to that experience, like that will shift things more than anything. Like mm. just do try to do the opposite of what you normally do. Like just, just give that a go. If you always entertain emotionally unavailable people, or you always find faults in partners, or you always run away when it gets too close, just try to lean into that discomfort a little bit. Cause that's where the magic is not saying that relationship's going to work out. It will, or it won't, but that's where the medicine is just by leaning into that discomfort a little bit. Mm, absolutely. Excellent, excellent uh, advice to end this beautiful conversation with. Now, where can people find you? What have you got to offer? Um, you know, 
with the world. Tell us. Amazing. So yeah, you can find me mostly on Instagram at Michelle Panning and my website, michellepanning.com. I also have a podcast called the unfuck your relationships podcast. So if, yeah, if this was your vibe, then come have a listen. I can get quite sassy on there. So it's fun. (laughs) My my family started listening to it. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. (laughs) Um, And then I have a signature program called the connected woman. So it's all on my, on my website. I've got other programs and yeah, one-on-one stuff. So there's a good mix. If you want to come work with me and if you're like, fuck, I'm really serious about, you know, changing shit in my life, in my love life and my connection with myself, then, you know, maybe working with me is that you leaning into your discomfort a little bit, you allowing yourself to be triggered. Like, let's go there. I am the self-proclaimed trigger queen. So it's only fitting. Yes. Well, I love your work. I, I tell you this often. I'm always so inspired by the work that you do and your expression and your authenticity and how you do things your way. Um, and yeah, so I definitely recommend you go check out Michelle's work, follow her on Instagram, listen to her podcast. Uh, I love your sassiness. Uh, so I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a, there's medicine in that there's medicine in how you express yourself, um, visually, physically, and also like verbally and how you create stuff and share it with the world. Uh, I thank you for joining my podcast and being my very first guest. What a Yay! excellent first episode. <laughs> Uh, and it is, uh, you really inspired me to do my podcast. You've inspired me to do a lot of things. So if you're enjoying my work, you can um, thank Michelle because she's helped me and she's, she's, she, she had my back when I was like, I want to do this, but I'm scared. And she's like, do it, bitch. <laughs> yeah, 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 do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for being, being here. Thank you for being my buddy. And thank you for joining the podcast. And I am, I'm celebrating you, your work and your beautiful relationship that you're in now. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited for you and everyone listening. Excellent. Thanks, Michelle. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, my friend, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something new today or that I reminded you of something you already knew or do and that you feel inspired and encouraged to prioritize sex, pleasure, and orgasms in your busy life. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and give it a rating or review so this important message can reach more people on this planet. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next time.